I don't think like I ever thought, okay, I really want a drone business. It's not about the drones. It's about creating something out of nothing. I believe that every single person you meet, you can learn something from them. We were making millions for a few years. Produced by Podcast Architects. You're listening to the Lead On Podcast, where we discuss experiences in the armed forces while exploring lessons from military leaders. Hello, everyone. I'm David Deary with the Enlisted Leadership Foundation, and welcome to another, another edition of Lead On, Lessons from Military Leaders. Uh, be sure you subscribe and, and visit the Enlisted Leadership Foundation website to see how you can grow yourself as a leader. Today, I'm joined in studio, although it's not really in studio. I'm in my garage and Sherry's in her hangar. I'd like you to meet Sherry Painter. Sherry is a military spouse, uh, 35 years of marriage, uh, married to a former Navy senior chief petty officer. That's an E-8 for anyone in other branches of the service. Uh, Sherry, good morning. Welcome and thank you for joining me today. Good morning, David. It's such a pleasure to be here. Uh, you know, we don't do these a, a tremendous amount of time, but this one was really near and dear to my heart. So I wanted to make the time for this and just be able to share the knowledge I've learned as a, both as a leader and a military spouse. Well, thank you, Sherry. Uh, you know, just so the audience knows real quickly. So Sherry and I met uh, a few years ago. We're going to talk about uh, the business, Bird's Eye Aerial Drones that she and Scott own. That's really how we got connected and how we've been working together for quite some time. And as Lead On has grown and we've expanded from those act, uh, in uniform military leaders, uh, I felt we were missing an opportunity to speak to the spouses of the military leaders who honestly, without the spouses, military leaders could not be as effective and do what they do. Uh, so again, thanks for being here. Now, uh, you know, before we dive into the meat of the conversation, I, I always like to to ask a simple question of my guests. What was the worst piece of leadership advice that someone ever gave you, Sherry? You know, that's a good question, David. You know, there's everyone knows there's different styles of leadership, right? There's the domineering type. There's the the subtle type, you know, I think the worst piece of leadership advice I ever got was that I needed to be more domineering in my leadership. Uh, I, yeah. What's I that just, mean? Yeah. Right. You know, it was just, it was really off the wall. Um, I'm a pretty well-rounded leader and I, I love growing as a leader. I think that's one of the most important things as a leader, you need to understand that it's servant first, right? When you put your people first, uh, when you're constantly growing yourself, I think that's going to be the very best leader. If you're passionate about what you do, you love your people. Uh, you know, John Maxwell says that, uh, especially when it comes to leadership and talking about your people, and oftentimes we have a hard decision to make as leaders. And he says, when you're stuck and you, you're having a hard decision, just fall on the side of the people. Even if the outcome isn't the desired outcome, it'll still be good because you put your people first. Uh, which, you know, and as a, it reminds me of a future guest who is a commanding officer of an aircraft carrier who, because he put his people first, it cost him his military career. Wow. But it, it was the right decision. So it's uh, loyalty. It's loyalty. But more on that when that guest comes on. Yep. Uh, so married for 35 years. Where are you, where are you Scott, from? How'd you meet? And uh, what drove uh, drove you guys to the Navy? 
Yeah. You know, David, we actually met in high school. We went to Germantown High School together. My father was a pilot for FedEx. Okay. Um, he's now retired and actually works for us. He's part of our flight ops department. I yeah. did not know that. Okay. Yes, yes. Now, is this he, Germantown in um, Tennessee? Tennessee? Yes, okay. Germantown, Tennessee. So mm -hmm. my dad worked for FedEx, which at the time, Memphis was the only hub. Uh, we met in geometry class. And yeah, we became friends first. Uh, and then we decided to start dating. And, you know, 35 years later, through a whole military career and everything else, uh, we're still together. So, um, you know, I think what drove Scott to the military was the opportunity to grow himself and to be able to get an education. Mm -hmm. Now, what did Scott education. do? What, what was his job? He was an AE. Which is, uh, what is aviation that electron Aviation oh. electrician. Electronics. Okay, so spent a lot of his time on the flight deck in the hangars working on aircraft. Yes, yes. He was stationed all up and down the West Coast, uh, started in um, San Diego, went up to Washington State, came down to Ventura, ended in San Diego. And of course, you know, where else would you want to retire but San Diego? And we were fortunate enough that our kids were here through the bulk of their school. Uh, we lived in Coronado, uh, through almost their entire K through 12. So really? yeah, it was very, very nice. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so it's a, you know, so you guys are pretty young when you got married and then moving away from, from home and raising a family. What was one of the uh, biggest challenges as a military spouse and how, uh, maybe, you know, we grow when we we're challenged, right? When things are tough is when we grow. Um, and so like, like, what did you, what piece of advice, uh, you know, I met a young 18 year old yesterday, uh, married to a Marine. Uh, they've been, uh, you know, married about a year. She's a daughter of a retired Marine E6. Um, so she, you know, but, but not that's few and far between. So for a young military spouse who may be listening, um, what piece of advice to be successful and not be disgruntled, not not be angry with deployments or separations and long hours, things like that? Right. Yeah. You know, David, I did many things okay. as a young military wife that I felt like made the experience uh, wonderful, actually. Uh, the first thing is that I would really recommend, you know, I've known some some military wives who when their husbands deploy, they go home. Mm. And they, you know, stay with their parents because that's where their network is. I would really recommend against that. Um, I think it's really important to make your home where you are. Uh, build those new relationships. Um, build that support center, whether it's through a church or through meetup or, you know, I wasn't necessarily always with other military wives, but I got a job where I was at and, and really made it a home. And I think that's important. Um, because it keeps you tied, you know, tied to your family and it grows you as an individual. Uh, secondly, when Scott would deploy, we've done a couple different things. One is every time he would deploy, I would visit him somewhere at some port. Oh, wow. So even when we had, you know, young, young children, I still would pick a port and we would go, uh, you know, vacation together, so to speak. Um, I will say one time uh, we were supposed to visit in Venice and I had packed and bought everything and had the airplane tickets. And of course, you know, the Navy is what it is. It doesn't matter. doesn't care if you're about to have a vacation. They swapped ports 
and it got canceled. But um, we made up for it in a different port. And I think that's really important. The third thing we did that was really fun is every month, you know, back when we were at that point in our lives, you had to number your letters, right? Because there was no email, there were no phone calls, um, maybe when they were in port at $4 a minute. But um, we did a lot of mail, right? That was crazy. Um, and once a month, I would send him a themed package. So like, I can't bear to be without you, uh, would have everything with bears on it. Uh, although all the gummy bears melted and congealed into one big ball <laughs> once he got it. Um, you know, you're my sweetheart package. Um, I sent him some Chex Mix Muddy Buddies and he thought that the uh, powdered sugar was mold, so we threw it away. Oh my gosh. Um, and halfway package where everything was in half. A purple heart package where everything was purple and, you know, leave it up to your imagination what you could send that could be purple that could encourage your husband uh, or your significant other out at sea. So, you know, that made it fun. And once we had kids, they really loved participating and putting those themed packages together. So, you know, I look back at our military career with a very fond heart. Um, and, you know, once we retired, you know, that's one of the things that, that brought us together with Enlisted Leadership Foundation. We loved the military lifestyle and we loved being that leadership um, figure in the military, whether it was Scott with his guys or me with his guys' wives. And we wanted a way to stay connected uh, with what I would call our roots. So, yeah. You know, that, that, those, you know, three or four examples you gave, uh, it, it explains really why you've been married 35 years, right? And, and not all 35 are easy. Um, yeah, but but it's so important and, and not be disgruntled. Um, you know, I, I tell family and friends, uh, you, you talk about going home. Um, you know, I have two kids that, that live out of state and they'll say, Hey, I'm going to come home for pick the time. And I want to say you are home. You want to come visit. And I don't mean that to be cruel. I love it when they come to my home, but it's a mindset, right? Until you embrace where you're at, you're always going to be want to be somewhere else. I can even remember right. being stationed in Hawaii. Oh my gosh, I love Hawaii. And our next door neighbor, she, the the wife of her of the sailor, she hated Hawaii. She used to sit in in uh, in a chair in her driveway, wouldn't go anywhere, and and think about when they get to move back. Nothing against it, but her whole objective was to move back to the Midwest into their trailer, and for him to get out. Instead of like, you know, and, and I'm sure you did this, you know, what the opportunity the military gives us and gives our kids to live in Washington and Ventura. And, you know, we live to Japan and Hawaii, you know, all these things and make the most of where you're at. Yes. Um, you, you know, I, I th there was one thing I, I wanted to ask you, uh, something about, you know, learning about the culture of the Navy, something that happened at the Department of Motor Vehicle. I mean, you're, you're from Tennessee. Um for people that don't know, we actually have a base in Millington, Tennessee. And back when your husband came in, uh, that would have been the aviation training school area. Uh, now it's uh, where our personnel uh, command is at. Um, but, you know, uh, you know, probably didn't have a lot of expectations of the ocean and ships and things coming from Tennessee. So, you know, the culture, what did you learn about the culture at the Department of Motor Vehicles of all places? Right. Well, you know, first of all, I... 
in the military, there's definitely a chain of command. And yeah. I was raised, I don't know, I guess I was raised a smidge entitled. And, you know, Scott would come home and say, you know, this is what's happening or that what's happening. I'm like, well, ugh, why don't we just call them and tell them this is the way it needs to be? <laughs> so, you know, I, I was pretty opinionated and I, I was standing in the DMV, uh, it was the one on base. And there was a gentleman behind me. He was clearly retired. And we were talking about what my husband did. And I had mentioned that, you know, he was deployed and he was on a boat out to sea, yada, yada. And this retired gentleman proceeded to tell me for 20 minutes that my husband is not on a boat. He is on a ship. And he told me all the reasons why. And I never made that mistake again. Um, but I wasn't really one of those wives that that knew everyone's rank by looking at their uniform or, you know, Scott was really good at not bringing it home. And I appreciated that. Um, but yeah, I did learn lessons here and there. Sometimes they were funny and sometimes they were serious lessons, but I did learn them. And I, I learned that the way of the military is the way of the military and you adjust to it and you enjoy it. You make the most of it. You know, in talking about hearkening back to when we talked about, you know, briefly in the introduction of servant, servant leadership, mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's an example of as, a, as, as somebody who being a leader in that, right, that person didn't have to give you a 20 minute lecture. In fact, he could have recognized, <clears throat> you know, just could have simply said if he, if, if he just had to get it off his chest that, you know, ships and boats, ships are targets, boats are subs and leave it at that. Um, you know, we, d there's always a opportunity to teach and instruct. Um, so, so you, you get out of the military after 23 years and, and, uh, then, you know, how did you guys become vetrepreneurs? How did you start? And was this your first endeavor in a small business? Did you do anything on active duty ahead of time that maybe drove you to, to transitioning out at 23 years? You know, talk to us about bead. Okay. Yeah. Great. Um, so I had, yes, I had done some other businesses. So I had experience with small businesses. Um, at one point I was in legal shield. I had some of the best mentors I've ever had, uh, while doing that. Um, what drove us to, to open a, a drone business is, you know, Scott, when he was, when he retired, uh, he ended up over in Afghanistan. So he would be gone for a year at a time home for 30, less than 30 days. So he did that for four years. Um, that was a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, that was a very, very challenging time for me. Um, you know, with some children issues, with some health issues, some really major health issues. But when Scott was overseas, he would, first of all, he was part of the PTIDS program, which is PTIDS, uh, Persistent Threat Detection System. So uh, it's like a big little blimp that puts up in the sky. It's got cameras on it. Um, he was on a FOB, forward operating base. And in his downtime, he would build uh, remote control helicopters and fly them. And just, you know, his experience with aviation, uh, PTIDs, flying those helicopters and flying remote control planes with my son for years, he started to realize the the benefits, the capabilities of what that was going to look like. So because of my health, he ended up coming home and starting his business. Uh, it was great to have him home. It was a big challenge for him because he had to be, you know, business owner and caretaker at the same time. 
Um, about two years into it, uh, I began to get better, um, improve, and began to join him, which was great because <clears throat> the military doesn't really give you experience in building your own business. Quite the, quite the opposite. Um, so we really had different strengths to bring to the trade table. Um, he, <clears throat> excuse me, he, um, he had that operational side of things really nailed down. And then I had the business side of things. So together we were able to make a really great team. Although it took some time to get used to going from seeing each other 29 days a year to every day. But, you know, uh, it was a transition. Yeah, I'm sure. Listen, uh, just real quick, uh, uh, everyone listening and watching, thanks again. Don't forget to uh, uh, click on the description below to find out more about both the Enlisted Leadership Foundation and how we're building America's leaders as well as, and more importantly, the Bird's Eye Aerial Drones website. Um, you know, so with entrepreneurship and, and you talk about leadership and strengths and, and weaknesses, so it's Scott's business, um, but it sounds like you run the business. Is, is that a fair assessment or is it a, or or is it you, you both mutually run the business, but there's things that he does that he's strong at and there's things that you do that you're strong at. And maybe that's why people may, and is it, his business or your business? Because, you know, people may say, well, why, why am I talking to you and not, not Scott? Sure. Yeah, no, that's a great point, David. It is both our businesses. Um, it does qualify as a disabled veteran owned small business, Oh, wow. Good. but um, I'm very active in it. Um, we do have our different strengths. Like I said, he's very good operationally, um, the paperwork, um, keeping the certs going, uh, you know, being in aviation for his whole career, he has that side of things pretty nailed down. You know, the Navy SOP, standard operating procedures and policies. And, you know, our business is built on a lot of that uh, because that's his experience. And I think that's what really differentiates us from other companies is that ability to have a very solid foundation because he's got an MBA in aviation management as well. So, um, my side of things is more, I'm the face of the company. Uh, my strength is more people. People are my strength. And whether it means, you know, doing things like this, being a face for the company, or having that integration with all of our employees, doing reviews and, and that type of thing, that all falls on me. Um, and I don't mind it. That's the part I enjoy. I love connecting. I love networking. I love meeting new people. I love hearing their stories. Um, you know, we talk a lot about leaders um, teaching. Well, leaders learn too. Yes, I, believe gotta, every, yes. I believe that every single person you meet, you can learn something from them. Um, that's kind of I a, would even say not just every person, but every experience. You're right. You're right. Every experience. I mean, this is something that I don't know that I brought this up before, but when Scott and I were younger, um, we go to church. We have a church family that we love. And we were having a meeting down at San Diego uh, Convention Center. And there must have been other things going on because it was packed. So there were actually people out there, like homeless people, bringing you to a, a parking spot, thinking maybe you'd give them a tip. So this guy and girl... You know, they see that we're looking for parking and they bring us to this spot. We give them a tip and we start talking with them and we find out that they're a young married couple 
and they had just moved to California because they couldn't find jobs where they were at. And um, they had come to California hoping to find something better. And we had talked about how we were going to go to this event and then go to dinner. And they recommended a dinner, a place for us to eat because they said that they had eaten out of their dumpster and their food was very good. Oh my gosh. And we continued to talk and we said, you know, we really wish you the best finding a job. And they go, yeah, we really believe that God won't give us more than we can bear. And when they made that statement, gosh, I get chills right now. When they made that statement, um, it was one of the most humbling things I ever heard in my life, right? Here I am disgruntled because we can't find parking. Why are we meeting all the way downtown? Can't we just meet where we normally meet? And God won't give them more than they can bear. Um, A young married couple had no marriage experience homeless, eating out of dumpsters. And I learned a tremendous life lesson from them. Um, So yeah, I believe we can learn something from everybody and we should never be so arrogant or focused on ourselves that we don't believe we can. And then we can take that to other people. Hell yeah. So true. Mm -hmm. Um, So what probably should have said this from the S is from the onset. Uh, What is, what is the business? I mean, I could tell by the title, but, you know, go beyond just the title. What, what, who is your client? You know, how, how far are you focused on San Diego only in the military community or, you know, and employee wise, talk to us about that. Sure. Yeah. Um, when Scott and I first started, we call it bead because bird's eye aerial drones is a real mouthful. And most yeah. people spell aerial like the mermaid, uh, which will <laughs> not get them to where we are. So, um, Bead. We started Bead um, about nine years ago. And at that point, you had to be a commercial pilot in order to fly a drone commercially. You had to be a manned pilot, I should rather. Um, and you had to build your own drones. So we did all that and we basically took anything that came our way. Uh, mostly it was movie studios and realtors. Uh, so Scott has been on the set for many motion picture business, uh, motion picture movies. Um, and then as the, the industry grew, bead grew, uh, a lot of those beginning years were us educating people on what drones could do. Um, what are they capable of? How can they save money? Are they legal? Can we fly it here? What's it going to cost? You know, how high does it fly? How fast does it go? All of that. So it took, I'd say for the first, really just up until about three years ago, it was mostly educating people on drone capabilities. Um, Then we started having some interest from the utility industry. Um, They reached out to us uh, in their year-long effort to find the right company to start their drone program with. This is one of the largest Southern California utilities. And, uh, you know, we stayed in touch through that year as you're supposed to. And about a year later, they call us back. They go, okay, well, we've called all sorts of drone companies and we really want to begin with you. Wow. Um, yeah, because you, um, your safety, you know, practices and your knowledge of the industry really sets itself apart. So we started working with one of the utilities, then another, then another. And when we were fully staffed, we were about 150 employees. Really? No. Yes. Wow. 
Now, yes. are you still considered a small business with that many employees? You are. Yeah, okay. you are. Yeah. It's interesting as a business owner, because every time you change numbers, your requirements as a business and tax change. But yes, at 150, you're still considered small. Um, we are a veteran preference friendly hiring. We like to hire veterans. Uh, they get a preference with us. And, you know, we were making millions for a few years. Um, and the utility industry is pretty cyclical. Uh, a lot of their work is done pre-fire season. So that was the biggest challenge uh, was that we would upscale and then these contracts would go away for three or four months. So then you have to downscale and then upscale again. And it's very expensive. So um, one of the things that we really learned out of that is diversification. <laughs> Mm -hmm. sure. We went from taking everything to really focused on utilities. Um, okay. Now our, 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 I want to call our favorite clients because we think they get the most bang for their buck with drones and we enjoy working with them are the utilities, uh, transportation, engineering, environmental. And we have a couple niches. Like we work with golf courses and we work with construction. So, you know, those verticals all kind of overlap in that they require the same training, the same uh, equipment. So we really enjoy working with all of those. And, um, you know, we, we're growing all the time. I think as a leader and as a business, if you don't keep growing, um, you know, you're declining. So, so, so are, you, are you beyond California? We are. We service all of California, and this year we're expanding into Arizona. Okay. And there is some talk that we might be expanding into Brazil and Qatar as well. So that would oh. be very, very exciting. We're going to actually be starting um, bead.global. It will be woman-owned. And ah, it will be, yeah, It'll all of our international business consulting and training will come through there. And of your 150 employees, are they local or are they dispersed throughout California? That's a great question. They're dispersed from all over the United States. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. How's we, that work? Right. Um, it's kind of expensive, um, okay. but there's not enough drone pilots experienced enough for us to put into our tier one safety uh, work here locally which brings up another really good point. You know, we work with a lot of the local colleges uh, here in Southern California to be an active participant in training the future workforce. Um, we also work with Embry-Riddle, Scott's an alum there, and uh, we have some philanthropic offer efforts with them as well. And so, yeah, we're really active in training up the workforce. So forgive my ignorance with the question, but like I see the movies where you know, military could be sitting in a trailer and, you know, March Air Reserve Base in Riverside flying over sea. So these pilots that are scattered throughout the U.S., are they actually operating drones from their location or do they need to come to the on site to do this? Yeah, they have to come on site. So small unmanned aerial systems, which is okay. what we fly, okay. um, per the FAA law, you have to have the drone within sight of the operator. Okay. Yeah. So how'd that work during COVID? We were considered an essential worker because okay. our work with the utility companies is ah. part of high fire risk what, mitigation. So, boy, what a what a that was probably a lifesaver. 
Yeah, but but it's also like a, an unintended lucky consequence, right? Right. That, that you happen to be in one of these businesses like, oh my gosh, could you? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. How, how great is that for you? Yeah. Um, okay. So so you contacted us, uh, Enlist Leadership Foundation, specifically, so our Chief Petty Officer Pride Day event. So Scott, being a uh, Chief Petty Officer, uh, attended these events on active duty. And so what part did that play into the relationship we have now? Right. Yeah, it played quite a bit into it. You know, not only, as I mentioned before, wanting to maintain our relationship with the military once we retired, but CPO, you know, the whole CPO process, becoming a chief is, is quite a bit, you know, there's a lot to it. I'm sure most of the people listening here know what it is. Uh, they remember the eggs and the box and the march and, you know, all of that. Um, so we had actually flown for you guys when you were on the Midway a few years ago. And we just, ever since inception, we have donated our services to a nonprofit. Um, we've done United Through Reading. We've done some local. And we decided that that the Enlisted Leadership Foundation was really near and dear to our hearts, our experience, our past. It's our way to continue to reach out to the military. You know, with the upcoming CPO Day, we'll be out there. You know, anyone who attends, we'd love for you to stop by, see our table, see our drones. We're always hiring vets. And, um, you know, it's our way to stay connected and to give back. Well, we, we certainly appreciate it. And I, and I will tell everyone from experience, uh, the quality of work is great. And if you go to the Enlisted Leadership Foundation's website under our uh, Chief Petty Officer Pride Day page, <clears throat> there's a video there, just a little marketing video that, that my uh, media person put together. And those the footage you see in that video is all from Bead, both the video and the stills, because you, you help us out by putting some people with cameras out there as well. Um, you know, I want to something that I thought of also. So talk about veteran hiring and um, that preference doesn't mean all your hires are vets. Um, There's safety and licensing and a lot to consider in that. But working with Emory Little, for example, where so many, you know, they have a ROTC programs and they have, they, they, they make, they, they build America's leaders. Um, how many of your hires are females? Especially since you think of this new, you're, expanding globally going to be a, a women owned business. Do you, I, I'm not into, you know, I, I don't think it's necessary to have a certain percentage that has to be this or that because you exclude quality over preference. Um, but um, you're going to, so what, what's this field like? There could be some women out there that uh, could be listening. Like this sounds interesting. I, I, I would like to do this. I can I can even picture moms whose spouses are deployed playing with drones that because it's it's common they're everywhere now with their kids. So I, I I just spoke for three minutes on a question, but how many women do you have working for you? Yeah, we have quite a bit, David. Um, it's really exciting for us because when the drone industry started, it was definitely male dominated. Okay. Um, one of the things we really love doing is maybe that's what that guy said when you needed to be more domineering, uh, right? Worst piece of, yeah. Right. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. So no, it's fine. Um, our teams, we, we have teams that go out. Our pilots always have a safety observer with them 
And our safety observer really don't, there's not a lot of prerequisites other than, you know, the traditional soft skills, right? We want to see that, that you're a leader, that you're a go-getter, that type of thing. But we've raised up um, a good handful of women pilots that have come in as safety observers. Um, they love being out in the field. You know, they're with the drone pilot all day long. They're like, hmm, maybe I could do this. They go out, they get their 107. They get to practice on their own time. Sometimes if they're for a real good relationship with their pilot on the weekends, they'll go out and fly together and they build up their experience. Uh, then they start being, a, they start flying for us. We put them on some of our non tier one safety jobs and they work themselves up to, to flying. We, I'd say at least half a dozen, at least. Um, and we, you know, there's a lot of positions besides flying a drone. Um, there's a lot of back work that goes with that. You know, we have a whole flight ops department. It takes a lot of um, work to get airspace and ground space and schedule the flights and track the pilots and keep them safe out there. Uh, we have a whole HR department. We've got a GIS department, uh, video production. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's something we've run into working with you is getting that clearance and the FAA stuff and mm -hmm. height, ceilings, especially when we're around the Midway, not so much now that we're at Silver Strand State Beach, right. but still. Um, so, so it is. So now I'm just asking because I'm kind of curious um, and I think it's important to ask and and people don't forget, I'm not going to hit all the questions. So feel free to reach out websites below uh, to Sherry and her team. But. So do you pay people, is it a, a salary or is it a job-based pay? Uh, like, are they 1099 employees, uh, but that, and then they take these skills and they get uh, contracts with other, I don't know how big the industry is or how much competition there is. I mean, you just cover down California, maybe Arizona. And we know that there's, I, I work for an insurance company and we've been using drones for years to go scout out um, catastrophe operations before, you know, families could get back after floods, fires, I think to assess property damage? Sure. Yeah, that's a great question. When we first started, we were all 1099. All of our pilots were 1099. And then AB5 happened. You know, California has its own country over here. We have our special laws. So uh, everyone became employees. Um, so as far as salary versus hourly, our pilots are mostly hourly. Uh, they get paid a very good living wage. Um, okay. You know, I higher. just read... I just read today, as an aside, right. that a single person to live in California, not even comfortably, just, okay, they say living wage, which they define as your essentials, um, a little spending money, and some saving, little savings, $80,000. 80000 I mean, that's so much money. Yes. Our and pilots, that's a living wage. Right. So people, here is a great, you heard it from the owner. Okay, a living weight, not saying this could be $80,000, but here's a skill set that it's, it's a growing industry. So anyway, yeah. so you pay, you pay your employees very well on an hourly basis. Yes, our leadership is usually salary. Okay, that um, makes sense. Yeah, um, and our pilots and safety observers, that type of thing, they're hourly. Um, but they, they live very comfortably um, when they're out in the field because uh, it's kind and of- And they unique. can work for other companies. There's not, you don't have a non-compete agreement. They can go other- other companies and stuff, even though that they're on your payroll? Uh, not while they're on our payroll. If they want to leave okay. and go work for another company, they can. Okay. But if they're okay. working for us, they're probably going to be full time. Oh, oh, yeah. okay. So yeah. even though it's, oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. So the way it generally works is, you know, we have these larger contracts 
that people will come on for and they'll be out in the field a good part of it. Um, so depending on which contract they're working on, they could be working from home or they could be working from a hotel that we put them up in with the vehicle and per diem and all that. Wow. Very good. Yeah. So some different models depending on the job. Well, this is really exciting, Sherry. And I'm really glad that we, we made the opportunity, uh, specifically now, right? Because I'm hoping, or we're hoping that, uh, there's going to be some Navy chiefs that are in Southern California. Uh, and beyond, we'll get people from Ventura, San Francisco, and Arizona that are going to come to Chief Petty Officer Pride Day on September 22nd. And uh, many of these are, are be looking to transition out. A lot of them want to stay in Southern California. They own a home here. Their their kids could be getting you know in like you said in in school. They really don't want to leave. And and you know not listen. I'm not a fan of being a geo bachelor. So the fact that Scott uh, 11 months a year took a job for four years. That's hard. Um, and, and here's an opportunity. Maybe if the fit fill, if there's a right fit and there's, you could fill it, that they can come talk to you on CPO pride day. Definitely. Um, yeah. You know, what's the biggest lesson that you learned as a, as, as a journey in your journey as an entrepreneur, you not just this business, maybe, and maybe the few businesses you had leading up to this. You know, I think one of the largest, the biggest lessons I ever learned was, um, how to deal with my health. Okay. Um, like I said, Scott came home uh, to, to be a caretaker. And for two and a half, almost three years, I was pretty much bedridden. Um, it was very, very difficult. I had gone from being a, I call it a type A high performing person to not being able to do anything really. Um, and as I healed, I slowly was able to come back, but it took a lot of work, right? Um, you have to learn a lot of tools to, to, to utilize, to not just function, but to be okay with it mentally, you know, not being, I should be doing this. I should be doing that, but really understand you can do what you can do. And that's all you can do. Um, it really taught me, uh, to, it's really mind over matter, honestly. I mean, I know you might not be feeling well. Like I mentioned, I was in a business before and I remember going up to a speaker who spoke at a huge convention and um, I knew in her story, she had shared, she had shared some health challenges. And so I asked her, you know, how do you rise to this level in the business while dealing with these health challenges? She says, well, you know, you think I might be fine up here, but I'm not, I'm in a great deal of pain, but you didn't know it, did you? And I'm like, no, I didn't. Um, so I think there's a happy medium, you know, my executive leadership knows where I'm at physically. Um, and I do what I can. There might be days where I can't do anything and there might be days where I can do some things. And then there's days where I feel great and I can do everything I want to do. Um, so pacing myself is very important. Um, and what, I think, what, how, how much does faith play into this? You mentioned going to church. Yeah, it's, it plays into it a ton. You know, I believe that if we're given a vision, David, of something, a business or a, a, a goal, I believe if we're given a vision that is just so real to us that we can see it, that, that it will come to fruition. I believe God will bring the people and the resources necessary into your life to help you build that vision. And that includes, you know, okay, God, you know what I'm capable of today. You know where I'm at physically. You know where I'm at mentally. Um, 
I'm going to give this to you because I know you're going to bring this my way. I just keep plugging away at what I know I need to be doing and um, doing the best I can, learning from others, teaching others, being there for them. And, uh, you know, I think what goes around comes around. And I believe those things will come to fruition because I think that if, like I said, if you're given that vision uh, and you, it's so detailed that you can see it, um, I believe it will come. Yeah, you, you can't run away from that. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. No, especially if you're very excited about it. Yeah, it's, it because, you know, and working in the nonprofit world, um, what I've learned uh, both before I started the business as well as during I've seen it is, uh, and it's and it really doesn't matter if it's for profit or not profit. People, people invest in the person, not the business, right? And and, and you know, so it, when when it, it when it's that detailed that it's just passion, and and if people get that sense and how you light up, and they're like, man, that, and then they they grab down to that and they want part of that, and uh, and that's that, that what gives them. That's why. Having good employees that can also grab onto that vision because they're they're an extension of you, and they're representative of you, and uh, that's going to get more business down the road. So it which goes into how you take care of those employees, pay them well, give them their car, their hotel, uh, things like that. Yeah, and I think it's important to say that you know I don't think like I ever thought. Okay, I really want a drone business. Yeah, you know it's about it's not about the drones. Um, it's about creating something out of nothing, hmm. right? You're literally taking nothing. You're taking an idea and you're creating a real thing out of it. And with that real thing, you get to bless many people. And that is what I am fired up about. Well, uh, thank you so much. Uh, but before we sign off, I do have to ask one final loaded question, if you will. Okay, um, I'm ready. So, you know, we all make, bad decisions. And sometimes, uh, well, we don't all make it, but, but there's times that we make a bad decision. So what's a mistake or a bad decision that, that, you know, maybe nobody knows about, but you, and you're like, Oh man, I, I got away with that one. I don't want to do that again. Mm -hmm. uh, ever have one of those moments? Yeah, I, I do. I have. And I don't think it was a, um, like a one thing that I did. I will say, remember we were talking about how we kind of took whatever came our way with the drone business and then we got very busy with utilities. Um, I'm the lead person in our business development, you know, getting out there, um, figuring out what we can do, who can we work for, reaching out, building those relationships. And when we got our utility contracts, we were so busy. We were so busy working in our business that I stopped working on our business. Mm. And I think that's a really important thing for entrepreneurs to, entrepreneurs to remember is that you might be busy doing this or that or the other, but if it's not working on your business, then you're working in your business. It won't grow that way. That's so good. Mm -hmm. That's really so good. So I'd say that's the, the biggest mistake um, slash lesson that I've learned is continually, regardless of what's going on, delegate this or that if you need to, but stay on track and work on your business. That's good. Mm -hmm. Well, Sherry, I want to thank you. And for the listeners out there, I want to thank you for listening today. Don't forget to like and subscribe so that you'll never miss an episode of Lead On. Uh, you know, you can also click the link below again to learn more about the Enlist Leadership Foundation uh, and stay informed. And also, please, please, please head over to Bird's Eye Aerial Drones website. Uh, it's there below. Click on it. 
And you can also find them on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. Sherry, thanks again. Uh, give our best or my best to Scott. And I look forward to seeing you guys out there at CPO Pride Day on September 22nd. Definitely. See you soon, David. Thank you for this opportunity to share. You're welcome. Thank you for your service. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Bye-bye. Produced by Podcast Architects.